You're listening to the Dead Presidents Podcast. And this is the Top 5 Tragic Presidential Child Deaths. Hello and welcome to the Season 2 finale of our Top 5s here on the Dead Presidents Podcast. I'm Stephen Lincoln Douglas. And I'm James J. Hamilton. We've been through a lot of Top 5s here, and, you know, Season Finale, you want to try and do something lighthearted and silly and fun. So we've done just that. That's right. We're going to be looking today at... The Top 5 Tragic Presidential Child Deaths. An episode sure to be a laugh riot. And this, of course, uh, we had to limit ourselves. As lots of presidents' children have died, this episode being limited to ones who died while the president was in office as president, or, in one case, as president-elect. That's right. Quite a slew of tragedy going on with these first families that's true pre and post presidency so yeah we've had to narrow it down here and that being said this is the top five tragic presidential child deaths number five mary jefferson epps yep thomas and martha jefferson had six children together, but only two survived to adulthood. A son and three daughters died before their third birthdays. Martha herself didn't live to see the death of her last-born child because she died from complications from the birth. The widow Jefferson was left to serve as a single father to his two surviving daughters, Martha and Mary, both of whom were educated in France during his diplomatic service abroad. Mary, who was called Polly as a child and Mariah as an adult, learned to speak French and Spanish, studied history and geography, and played the harpsichord. Boy, already in the Jefferson family, such demise, much deathly. In 1797, at the age of 20, she married John Epps, who was her cousin and a fellow member of the Virginia plantation aristocracy. John Epps was elected to the House of Representatives in 1802, while Thomas Jefferson was president, and Mary's family lived in the White House for part of the year, as did her older sister Martha, whose husband was also elected to the House. Sounds like one big happy family in the White House. Indeed. While Martha had 12 children, with 11 surviving to adulthood, Mary unfortunately inherited her mother's luck in childbearing. She suffered several miscarriages, and her first daughter died as a newborn. She had a son, Francis, who would live to old age, but in February 1804, during her father's presidency, she gave birth to a namesake daughter, Mariah, who was born sickly. Mary herself suffered complications in childbirth and never recovered. As her health declined, Jefferson wrote to Secretary of State James Madison that Mary's, quote, distressing situation disables me from forming any opinion on the subject of presidential business. Mary died two months after giving birth on April 17, 1804, at Monticello. 
Jefferson's son-in-law, Thomas Mann Randolph Jr., wrote, quote, How the president will get over this blow, I cannot pronounce. He passed all last evening with his handkerchief in his hand. Jefferson evidently sought consolation for the loss in the arms of Sally Hemings, who gave birth to a son, Madison Hemings, nine months and one day after Mary's death. There you have it. Mary's death also prompted Abigail Adams to send Jefferson a letter of condolence, the act which reopened the lines of communication between Jefferson and the Adamses and enabled them to rekindle their friendship in later life. Jefferson suffered another tragedy in February 1806, when Mary's daughter Mariah died at the age of two. One of Mary's nieces later wrote, quote, My aunt, Mrs. Epps, was singularly beautiful. She was high-principled, just, and generous. Her temper, naturally mild, became, I think, saddened by ill health in the latter part of her life. In that respect, she differed from my mother, whose disposition seemed to have the sunshine of heaven in it. My mother was intellectually somewhat superior to her sister, who was sensible of the difference, though she was of too noble a nature for her feelings ever to assume an ignoble character. There was between the sisters the strongest and warmest attachment, the most perfect confidence and affection. There you have it. Quite a tragic loss for President Jefferson. Indeed. And deeply affected by it. And, well, that's pretty much the theme here. Well, as we proceed on the top five most tragic presidential child deaths. Number four, Patrick Kennedy. In the first years of her marriage to John F. Kennedy, Jackie Kennedy suffered a miscarriage and gave birth to a stillborn daughter. In 1957, the couple had Caroline, and John F. Kennedy Jr. was born premature on November 25th, 1960, just two weeks after his father won the presidential election. Jackie became pregnant again in early 1963, and she was at Hyannisport with her children on August 7th, 1963, when she went into labor five and a half weeks before her due date. She was rushed to Otis Air Force Base Hospital on Cape Cod and underwent an emergency C-section while President Kennedy flew there from Washington, D.C. aboard Air Force One. Patrick Kennedy, named after the president's grandfather, weighed under five pounds and soon showed signs of hyaline membrane disease. This is now called infant respiratory distress syndrome. Doesn't sound too good. No, none too good. Patrick was rushed to Boston Children's Hospital placed in an oxygen-filled steel hyperbaric chamber. With Jackie not well enough to leave the Cape Cod Hospital, JFK shuttled back and forth with updates. But Patrick's condition deteriorated. With today's medical advances, he would have had a 95% chance of survival, but at the time, there was little that could have been done for him. Only doctors in pressurized suits were allowed in the room, with the hyperbaric chamber, so JFK and his brother Robert watched helplessly through a small window. When the doctors realized the baby was nearing his end, they took him out and let JFK hold him while he breathed his final breaths. He died August 9th, just 39 hours after his birth. 
JFK said, quote, he put up quite a fight. He was a beautiful baby. There was a small private funeral. But Jackie was still in the hospital and could not attend. Those close to the Kennedys said that Patrick's birth and death brought the couple closer together. Secret Service agent Clint Hill wrote in his memoirs, quote, After the death of Patrick, the other agents and I noticed a distinctly closer relationship openly expressed between the president and Mrs. Kennedy. I first observed it in the hospital suite at Otis Air Force Base, but it became publicly visible when Mrs. Kennedy was released from the hospital and they came out holding hands. It was a small gesture, but quite significant to those of us who were around them all the time. Prior to this, they were much more restrained and less willing to express their close loving relationship while out in public. The loss of Patrick seemed to be the catalyst to change all that. Well, the Kennedys, unfortunately, are not going to have long to mourn before their family is struck by yet another tragedy as JFK was assassinated just over three months later. As of this recording, Patrick was the last child to be born to a sitting president and, in addition to JFK, the only presidents to have children during their presidencies were Grover Cleveland, who welcomed two children in his second term, and Thomas Jefferson, who had three children with Sally Hemings during his eight years in office. Well, and things are just going to keep getting more tragic as we go along. That's right. This is, after all, the top five presidential child deaths. Number three. Calvin Coolidge Jr. Well, Calvin and Grace Coolidge had two sons, John and Calvin Jr., who were both teenagers when their father became president. Coolidge had the closest relationship with Calvin Jr., who not only looked like him, but shared his modest, hard-working demeanor and his dry wit. On June 30th, 1924, the Coolidge boys played tennis on the White House lawn. Calvin Jr. was barefoot and developed a blister on the third toe of his right foot. This was four years before the discovery of penicillin, and the blister soon became infected. That's it. The story is uh, they were going out to play tennis, and he was in a hurry to get out there and play and didn't throw his socks on. Within a few days, the blister had turned dark and swollen, and red lines streaked up Calvin Jr.'s legs. Vice presidential nominee Charles Dawes later recalled seeing Coolidge at his son's bedside at this time, saying, quote, I have never witnessed such a look of agony and despair as was on the president's face. On July 5th, Calvin Jr. was moved to Walter Reed Army Hospital, but the infection had developed into sepsis and blood poisoning. He would slip in and out of delirium while the president cradled him in his arms, unable to do anything. He died on July 7th, 1924, at the age of 16. Ouch. One of the doctors recalled, quote, It is commonly stated that President Coolidge is cold as ice, but I had the opportunity of seeing him in his hour of grief and to know quite otherwise. Indeed, it was the most touching and heart-rending experience of my whole professional career. Coolidge fell into a major depression and would often sleep 16 hours a day and work less than four hours. 
In his book, The Tormented President, Calvin Coolidge, Death and Clinical Depression, Robert Gilbert argues that Coolidge displayed all 10 of the symptoms listed by the American Psychiatric Association as evidence of major depression, including loss of appetite, difficulty thinking or concentrating, recurrent thoughts of death, feelings of guilt, and reluctance to speak. In fact, some of Coolidge's reputation as Silent Cow may be attributed to this depression. Yeah, it's something. Coolidge would never forgive himself for Calvin Jr.'s death, and he died heartbroken in 1933. He wrote in his autobiography, quote, My son Calvin was a boy of such promise, proficient in his studies, with a scholarly mind who had just turned 16. He had a remarkable insight into things. The day I became president, he had just started to work in a tobacco field. When one of his fellow laborers said to him, If my father was president, I would not work in the tobacco field, Calvin replied, If my father were your father, you would. After he was gone, someone sent us a letter he had written about the same time to a young man who had congratulated him on being the first boy in the land. To this he had replied that he had done nothing, so did not merit the title which should go to some boy who had distinguished himself through his own actions. We do not know what might have happened to him under other circumstances, but if I had not been president, he would not have raised a blister on his toe, which resulted in blood poisoning, playing lawn tennis on the south grounds. In his suffering, he was asking me to make him well. I could not. When he went, the power and the glory of the presidency went with him. The ways of providence are often beyond our understanding. It seemed to me that the world had need of the work that it was probable he could do. I do not know why such a price was exacted for occupying the White House. Wow. Yeah. Coolidge very, very affected by Calvin Jr.'s death. Calvin Jr. sounded like a great boy cut down. Yeah. Before his prime. Could have done great things. Which may become a theme in the remainder of our top five. That's right. This is the top five presidential child deaths. Number two. Willie Lincoln. Well, the Lincolns had four sons, the second of whom, Eddie died of tuberculosis at age four in 1850. Their third son, Willie, was said to be most like his father, intelligent, kind, sensitive, and full of promise. He was 11 years old in February 1862 when he fell ill with typhoid fever, likely caused by pollution in the White House water system. Over the course of two weeks, Willie's condition worsened, and the Lincoln's youngest son, Tad, came down with the same illness. While Tad's condition stabilized, Willie became weaker and weaker. With the Civil War raging around him, President Lincoln was unable to focus on his duties and did little work. That's it. I mean, you're the president, but you're also a parent. Mm -hmm. And that's tough to juggle. Willie died on February 20th, and Lincoln said to his private secretary, John Nicolay, quote, Well, Nicolay, my boy is gone. He is actually gone, and burst into tears. 
He was devastated by the loss, saying, quote, My poor boy, he was too good for this earth. God has called him home. I know that he is much better off in heaven, but then we loved him so much. It is hard, hard to have him die. He later said, quote, Since Willie's death, I catch myself every day involuntarily talking with him as if he were with me. He visited Willie's crypt frequently, and it was said he would hold the body in his arms, though some historians doubt the veracity of this claim. Very tragic death, one that has been featured in literature in a somewhat slightly fictionalized version, uh, of course, in the book Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. To quote from the Wikipedia plot synopsis of that book, a vampire assassin sneaks into the White House and kills Lincoln's son, Willie. Henry, who I think is a vampire, appears at the White House and offers to turn Willie into a vampire so that he will, quote, live again, but Lincoln is unwilling to allow it, despite being very tempted. Enraged, Lincoln banishes Henry and all other vampires from the White House and refuses to speak to any of them ever again. Well, there you have it. Putting all sides forward. Yep. And as devastated as Abraham Lincoln was Mary Todd Lincoln even more devastated. She was bedridden for three weeks, did not attend the funeral, and her husband had to hire a nurse to take care of her. She never again entered Willie's bedroom or the room where he was embalmed. Entertaining at the White House ceased for a year, and Mary wore only black until January 1865. Mary's griefs multiplied with her husband's assassination, and then Tad's death in 1871 at age 18, she never fully recovered from these tragedies, which greatly contributed to her number one placement on our list of top five troubled first ladies. And speaking of events that brought on the troubles of our top five troubled first ladies. It's the top five presidential child deaths. Number one. Benny Pierce. Yep, Franklin and Jane Pierce had three children. Their first son, Franklin Jr., died three days after he was born. Their second son, Frank Robert, died at the age of four. Man, of this top five, the Coolidge's are the only ones who didn't have pre-presidential child deaths as well. That's it. Well, the Pierce's... They had a third son, Benjamin Pierce. He was a bright boy. He had great potential. He was the light of his parents' life. Jane, who despised politics, was only persuaded to accept her husband's presidential nomination when he argued that if he became president, it would greatly enhance Benny's prospects of success in life. That's right. Benny Pierce is 11 years old when his father Franklin wins the presidential election in November 1852. The following month, Jane's uncle passed away, and the Pierce family traveled to Boston for the funeral. On their way back to Concord on January 6, 1853, their train car derailed and rolled down a 20-foot embankment and landed on its roof. Pierce was badly bruised, but he and Jane survived. However, Benny was sitting alone in the seat behind them, and had the back of his head 
literally sheared off. He was killed instantly. Pierce threw his coat over the body once he realized what had happened, but not in time to hide the gruesome sight from Jane. Now, in this accident, Benny Pierce was the only casualty. Wow. Well, his parents would never be the same again. They both suffered severe depression afterward. Jane wondered whether the accident was divine punishment for her husband's pursuit of high office. She was so devastated that she did not attend Benny's funeral and did not travel to Washington for the inauguration. She would spend most of her time as first lady secluded in the upstairs living quarters. She didn't make her first public appearance as first lady until two years into her husband's term with her cousin handling most of the duties as White House hostess. Jane would write long letters to her dead son apologizing for her failings as a mother. Yeah. Yeah, pretty dark uh, cloud cast there. And, you know, we mentioned that Benny Pierce was pretty bright. You know, you may recall from the Pierce episode, but uh, if you haven't listened to that, do it. But uh, Benny Pierce writing a letter to his uncle saying, pardon the brevity of my letter, but my pen is full of anything but ink. Clever kind of things. Wow. You know. Um, so, yeah, that's going to throw a dark pall over the rest of Pierce's presidency and over the rest of his parents' lives. It's a leading factor in Jane landing at number two on our top five troubled first ladies, as well as Pierce's first place finish on our top five drunkest presidents. Upon leaving office, of course, he infamously said, quote, after the White House, what is there to do but drink? Jane dies of tuberculosis in 1863, Pierce hanging on until 1869, when cirrhosis of the liver, caused by his drinking, finally caught up with him. He died one of the saddest presidential deaths, with no family at his bedside, and no one to record his last words. Wow. If only Benny had been there, things might have been a lot different for his parents, maybe even for the nation. Yeah, yeah, you never can tell. I think all of these deaths, like any loss of a child, deeply tragic, but when you're in the position of being President of the United States, where does the line fall in terms of attentive parenting and presidential duty? Mm-hmm. You know, it's be a hard thing to juggle. Indeed. Well, that will bring us to the end of our top five most tragic presidential child deaths. That's just it. Very tragic. Speaking of tragic, we know you're all sad that this is the last top five of season two, but don't worry. Unlike these dead presidential children, the Dead Presidential Podcast will rise again and be with you next President's Day. Thanks for listening.